And we're back with Cinema Cemetery. I'm Kate. And I'm Dan. And today's episode, we are talking about Casablanca. But we're not talking about it in the usual way. We're talking about it in the time of quarantine. (laughs) This is a very special quarantine episode because typically, you know, the whole point of this podcast is so Dan and I can sit down, watch movies, and then talk about them together in person. But due to social distancing and the time of COVID-19, Dan and I are doing this entire podcast via FaceTime. So we'll see how the audio sounds. If you're an audio file, isn't that a fun word? You might be sitting there thinking, ah, the decibels are different. But that is not our fault because we're doing this via the internet. So thank you for your uh, cooperation. So it's Casablanca time. Casablanca, much like Gone with the Wind in 1939. This is another top five film on a lot of lists. Yeah, in my mind, I when I see the list, I, I think Citizen Kane number one, Casablanca number two, which is because of the AFI 1997 top 100 list. That's right. Yeah, I know things. Um, it so, has dropped recently, it seems. It typically is is closer to the... Still in the top 10, but usually not number two anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I think of Casablanca, I think it's supposed to be one of the greatest films of all time. And I was very excited to watch this. And the last time we watched it, Dan, we were how old? Like 15? I think it, yes, it was nine. Yeah, not 19. 20, 2005, maybe 2004. So it was a minute ago. And so this was, we watched it a long time ago together and then, We were going to watch it, and the last time I watched it, I loved it. I was all about it. I felt very important for having watched this very important movie. But when we went to sit down again this time, it did not land the same. That's interesting. I had almost the opposite experience. I appreciated that I watched it the last time I watched it. Uh, I didn't enjoy it last time. I don't think it, it exceeded expectations. And watching it again, it was a completely different movie, but still not very good. It was, it was before I think I was just too young to appreciate it. I, I missed out on all the subtleties. This time, I, I got way more of it, but it still seemed like a mess. Or I should say, not terrible. But how on earth is this thing getting ranked in the top five, top ten of all time? I was thinking the same thing because I just... There's so many, it, it felt like it was this quilt and puzzle and everything was just being thrown together and we just were given some quotes, a couple of good lines, a couple of, of looks across the way, and, and they called it a movie. So just the gist of Casablanca, if you haven't seen it before, we'll, we'll get to the plot, I suppose, as we go, but this is set in Casablanca, a city in Morocco. It still, I believe, is, in fact, right? It's still there. I, I don't think they moved Casablanca. No, they didn't take it anywhere. So this is during World War II. The film is, of course, made during World War II, 1942. It's set just a year prior, and Casablanca is serving as sort of the launching station for refugees from Europe. Germany has taken over France at this point. They've taken over they Poland. France. They're they're moving through, and so it, it's, it seems to be a lot of high-class refugees now, right? People that formerly had uh, quite a lot going on have, have made their way down through Europe. They're at Casablanca. And this is the last stop to get out of Europe to go to the United Kingdom, or in most cases, the United States. Uh, But as a result, it's it's a rough area, right? People are uh, taking advantage of all of the wealth. There's a lot of uh, mugging and crime, and it's a lot of corruption. It's very difficult to get out of the city. 
Yeah, they're trying to work through the different visa processes and expedite visas and and, and so a lot that's the, the making of a great film, right? Bureaucracy. This is what people want to see: paperwork <laughs> and bureaucracy. Red tape. Mm. And get, to, mm, get the right. And actually, that is the whole point of the film. the The people want to get on a plane, and they don't have the right papers, and they gotta get them, and they gotta get them from. They gotta Literally. fill out a form, and <laughs> they gotta go fill out another form, and, and it's, it's the wrong. Ah, oh, no, it's the wrong form. That's the whole film. It's a. It's the it's, whole film is government documents. If they had called it. <laughs> DMV or real ID, I think it would have been it would have been the same uh, thing. Casablanca, they call it Bridgeville, right? Which is, uh, and it's 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 a tough area to to get out of. Oh, if only they had heard the first. So the first time we tried to do this, Dan didn't hit record, so we got halfway through a podcast, and now we're on take two. So good luck, everybody. Good luck. I, on. I think this is going much better. And anyway. The, <laughs> The the just uh, the, the main story revolves around three characters. You could almost call it a love triangle. You have Rick played by... Almost. That's literally what it is. It's a love triangle. It's not almost. A triangle, it usually has the third person is is interested in being in the triangle. And Laszlo... Il- Ilsa is interested in being in the triangle. She is, and so is Rick. But Laszlo, Laszlo kind of just wants to go. No, Laszlo loves her. Laszlo loves sure, her. Sure, he doesn't even know he's in a triangle. Well, that doesn't mean he's not in it. He's just... A, it's a, Okay, anyway. Ilsa's the apex of this damn triangle. We have Humphrey Bogart, who's playing Rick, and then we have Ilsa, who is played by Ingrid Bergman, and her husband, Victor Laszlo, who is a uh, revolutionary, you could say, uh, in the former Czech... Well, what is it? Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic... Yeah, he's a part of the Czech resistance. Rick has not seen Ilsa in many years. They had a very brief fling. It's unclear, right? A couple of years prior. Yeah, and they were in Paris, and it doesn't even say how long. Like, was it a nice weekend in Paris? Was it a week? It's it as a as the Germans were entering Paris. So somebody look that up for us, right? This is 1940, very, very shortly before. Anyway, it turns out that uh, Victor, Laszlo, and uh, Ilsa, they want to get some papers and leave Casablanca, and Rick is also there. And so the story is about the two of them. Uh, will they be able to escape Casablanca? Uh, what side is Rick really on? He seems very much at the beginning simply to be on nobody's side. He's on his own side. He's just staying neutral. Uh, but he also seems to have uh, a heart. And is Rick going to attempt to break up this uh, married couple? And is there something still there in the, uh, is it a love triangle? Yes, I suppose. And so that's, that's where we find ourselves in Casablanca. So, Kate, what'd you think of Casablanca? Uh, I gotta tell you. You know how, like, you can usually tell when I'm loving a movie or not, and this movie feels like we assigned ourselves homework, because we did when we agreed to do this. And I was so excited because I thought this was going to be one of the movies I really loved, because I really loved watching it when I was younger. But upon reflection, it did not land as well, and it was not as enjoyable to view. Uh, yes, I, I, I would agree pretty much there. I, I thought it had a lot of good chunks. I thought there were some interesting characters and there were some valid sequences, but I, I couldn't quite tell what message, what story, what theme the movie wants to share, right? I don't think the movie knows, though. That's the other thing. I think the movie, and even as we're, I was reading some stuff about kind of how they put it together and it... People talk about this as being a movie that happened kind of despite 
anyone wanting it to happen and it happened so like separate from each other all the different parts of it were just kind of like being developed on its own that when it all came together it was just kind of this hodgepodge of a film and that's what it looks like when you watch it i wouldn't believe that it is shot almost entirely on set right there's not really any which is very apparent we were not in morocco while right. we were no 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 also because you know it was literally world war Two. And the actual Casablanca okay, was doing Casablanca things uh, that they were making the film about. Uh, but but it's tough to put a genre on this film. The beginning of the film, it's set in Rick's establishment called, appropriately enough, right. Rick's. And uh, you get a little bit of uh, it's almost gangster-like uh, vibes here. You have a character come in. He's stolen some documents. He's killed a German soldier. He wants Rick to watch him. Rick says, sure. Uh, he's taken out. So there's a little bit of political intrigue. You get the sense that maybe that's where this film is going. Then all of a sudden it launches into a, like not a romantic comedy, but just a, a, a romance. Bad romance, right? An anti-romance. All the rom- all the romance is in the past, and we got wow. a lot of dramatic flashbacks. But it's not quite that either, because are, are, do we really care if Rick and Ilsa get together? Are we rooting for them? I I don't I think the film wants us to. And, like, I love a good romance, even if it's just, like, two characters you don't care about. If you feel that they are earnest, I'm so excited to support them. And I didn't care about Rick and Elsa, not one iota. And it's revealed as you watch the film. It turns out Rick and Elsa, of course, like we said, they'd had their affair a few years prior. It turns out that Elsa was actually married even at that time. Her husband <gasps> was in a uh, concentration camp or a labor camp at the time. She didn't know if he was alive or dead. I think he, what, had written to her and said, proceed without me, you know. Uh, and then she finds out he's still alive right as the Germans come in. So it's a, it's a, you know, sometimes when you see these these uh, romantic stories, it's easy to assign blame to certain characters. Oh, why was she lying? Or why was Rick upset? Or everyone's behaving pretty reasonably right rick is understandably <laughs> upset that she didn't talk about it she is understandably under duress because her husband is in a concentration camp uh her husband is is fine because he didn't want to know i it meanwhile they're being invaded by nazis uh i don't think you can i don't think you can get too uh upset i guess that's the problem the characters are almost swept along uh, by their own, by just the the dramatic uh, social issues at the time. Yeah, I would. I mean, the social backdrop. I think, I think the problem here is that a lot of times movies will have a big dramatic political and world problem in the backdrop and have very intense interpersonal drama be the forefront of the film, right? You've seen it in so many other films. I don't need to reiterate Titanic, Pearl Harbor. Um, But with other movies, the romance and the interpersonal stuff catches you in a way that it makes you forget the other stuff in the background, or at least is as equally interesting. Whereas I was honestly more interested in the secret visa papers being hid in the in the um, piano than I was in the Paris affair, one hundred percent. I was like, 
who's going to get those papers? Where did the little Peter Lorre character, Senor Ugarte, how's he doing? Where is he? He died. They told us like 10 minutes in. First of all, I knew. I know. You know that. I knew that. I was just, like, I was more interested in the Ugarte visa storyline than I was in any of the romantic storyline business. Which, to be fair, is how the film ends. The end is pretty interesting. I mean, even for modern day, but especially at the time, it's a... It's a double cross and then a triple cross and then a single cross. And uh, Rick seems to be working a, for everybody at once. And they, and they, Rick Ross. they, Rick uh, it's almost too difficult to describe here, but uh, basically, Rick seems to be working for the uh, Nazis. And then all of a sudden, he's working for himself. And then all of a sudden, no, he's selflessly allowing uh, his friends to escape. And so, in a series of 10 minutes, you have a pretty solid sequence. There, I I did enjoy that. I thought that was engaging. I I suppose if I'm looking for positives in this film, the film doesn't really hold your hand. Uh, it it puts at a, all. It, puts it a barely bit, lets your know where to go. No, it puts a little bit of exposition out front, uh, and then you got to follow. And uh, if you don't, you're missing quite a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of the subtleties are just found in the dialogue, and so I can appreciate that from the script. I guess. I think the other thing that we had issue with was the acting. And I know you are like super anti Humphrey Bogart. I didn't hate what Bogart was doing in this film. Um, I, I think, I think in some ways he was giving the best performances in terms of, you know, when he's heartbroken over Ilsa, he plays an excellent drunk heartbroken man. Um, however, when he's paired with Ilsa, I was not feeling, I, I didn't feel that he was connecting with her. I don't know how they passed that chemistry test. Well, yes, I, I Ilsa played by Ingrid Bergman. I, I felt like she was fine and her husband as well. And they were very much in the acting style of the time. Uh, so you can be critical of them, I suppose. But it, it is just, the I think, the result of time. Humphrey Bogart, though, I I don't get him, right? He has his shtick. He plays himself in every movie he's in. He's uh, he's always got to come back, and he's got the, hey, get out of here, see, kid, uh, voice that he does. Um, and it's interesting, as you watch the film, as you mentioned, there's these secret papers that get hidden in the piano early on. Right next to them uh, must be a copy of the script because Humphrey Bogart seems to know what the lines are. He stands there, uh, never reacts to what's said to him, uh, and immediately has a witty comeback. In fact, sometimes he's saying the comeback line before the person even finishes. You know why? Because he's read the script. Uh, so it was like watching a fighting motivation. It it was it was rough. I. Uh, it, could be because the lines are so cliche now um here's looking at you kid i believe this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship uh soon and for the rest of your life right all of these lines are they're beyond iconic they're almost cliche now and i think that's why i liked when when we were younger i was like oh this film is very important because all of these lines are in here and and these lines are still things that we quote today and so that means that this must be a very significant film now I don't know why we're quoting them. I'm not sure. After watching the movie. No, no. Especially there were be- better movies before. I didn't realize how many of them were all consecutive at the end of the film. They're, they're like yeah, 10 in a row. And you some could- things misquoted, like play it again, Sam, was never actually said. Nope. 
think they say play it or play it Sam or Sam play yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, play as time goes by. Although I do love as time goes by. I think that song always has a place everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot about that song until I saw it, and, and that was that was interesting uh, to do see Do you not there. Sleepless in Seattle? You don't, no, no, I told you. I've only seen that once. you only seen Sleepless in Seattle once? Right, right. But that's a whole other conversation. Our next podcast should be only rom-coms. <gasps> I would be so much better at this. Anyway, Oh, oh boy. Oh, well, I've got yeah. a couple years to go. A couple years yes. to go on that one. My arms are up in victory, friends. So here's the question. Uh, Answer. The, uh, the only I, thing I guess I'd have to wonder is this film is made during World War II, right? So this is made, comes out in 1942. Let me get the, yeah, world premiere November 1942. So the United oh, States right. has been involved for less than a year uh, in this major event. And at this point, I, I don't remember my history. What were the Hitler blunder videos we had to watch in European history? Oh right? Was I don't know what what was <laughs> the state high school year? <laughs> what was the state of the war at this time? Was it still a coin flip on who's going to win, or was it starting to shift dramatically towards November nineteen forty two? Yeah, isn't that when Armistice happened? It ended in forty two November. Nope, ended in forty four in Germany. So it was still a coin flip, still, right? So. So U.S. history for this to come out, then I think okay, we're dealing with this new normal and everything's upside down, and so perhaps this film would have resonated far differently if you watched it right in the midst of World War II, uh, when you're really not sure. Hey, are the Nazis going to be sticking around for uh, five years, ten years, a hundred? You don't know. Uh, that would definitely have added some weight to it. Now you watch it, and uh, the the Nazis are kind of just annoying in this film. They're they're and continue to be right. They're just uh, this is not Schindler's List. They're just doing uh, paperwork. Object. They do have a sing off midway through. Uh, I thought that was probably my favorite scene. I forgot about the sing off. Yeah. So the wow. German the Germans are singing. What about that? Is it the German national anthem or the, yeah, the Nazi yeah, anthem? Yeah. They're singing this in the bar, and then uh, there's a dueling piano scene. Laszlo goes to the other piano player and asks him to play the French national anthem, and suddenly everybody is singing the French national anthem, and even this and you know, like this drowning old... out the Nazis. It was dramatic. Okay, I liked that scene. That was a good. Scene. That I thought I that was well done. Um, what they had that old couple uh, was singing it as loud as they could, right? Uh, it's that it's the song that nobody actually knows the words to in the United States, but if you hear it, you're like, oh yes, France. <laughs> is that what's is it that what we say? Yeah, what's we it say? Called? Oh yes, the the French national anthem. Yeah, but what's it called? I the Marseillaise. How do you pronounce it? I I don't speak French. Yeah. So. It's it's the French song. It's it whatever song you're thinking of, that's it. It's not Frere Jacques. It's the other one. Oh my God, dear Lord, please nobody listen to this. Anyway, so I like Dan. Where do you want to Where do you want to put this film? What should we do with Casablanca? That's a great question, right? Uh, can I got I got feelings about this because I don't care about it. Yes, I don't. I'm supposed to. I don't suppose I felt it was a very important film. Uh, I think it's handicapped widely because of its reputation. Um, On the other hand, 
I'm trying to think about it, comparing it to the films we've seen so far. Of course, we've seen the epic like Gone with the Wind, and we've seen the comedies like uh, You Can't Take It With You, and It Happened One Night. Was this the most compelling plot as far as uh, nonlinear and intrigue and um, turn of events? I'm looking at our list of what we've watched so far. It it might be the, the grayest film that we've seen, right? Uh, it there's There's not a clear good guy, bad guy scenario. There, there's not a clear plot of what's going to happen. And so maybe that is something that should be applauded. Maybe that was uh, groundbreaking at the time. Maybe, I don't know. I feel like I was more drawn into the plot of Cimarron than I was to this movie. Oh, sure. No, I. but Cimarron was, again, very linear. And this and this and this. And, uh, and this You had your the- anti-hero, yes, but this one was, it wasn't like we were watching a story. It's like we're just jumping in at a small slice of something that is continuing. Okay, so, and it's so going it's to continue. There's no happy... And this is this is the story, and it's a very small time as a factor in location. Okay, I don't know. I still would only put it in the twenties or the thirties. Um, well, looking at what we have so far in in the twenties, we had All Quiet on the Western Front twenty five, and Rebecca at twenty seven. I would put it around both of those because I was thinking about both of them as we were talking about it. I was like. And All Quiet on the Western Front felt better than this. And Rebecca was another one where you're just jumping in without a lot of information. And I liked Rebecca more. I felt that was a more compelling story than Casablanca. I think this is a more important film than Rebecca. Um, I don't know if I... Why? Why is it more important than Rebecca? Rebecca was just an an adaptation of a novel. And uh, this was a... Again, a slice of a very difficult time in u.s history plus i think you have to acknowledge just for whatever reason it's become so iconic whereas rebecca nobody talks about rebecca but were you okay well lots of things were box office flops that became better maybe they just weren't seen we are very good at deciding why things are cinematically important i think it's one of our best skills and so i want to know why you think this is cinematically significant because outside of the quotes and outside of the fact that it was made during a tumultuous time about that time, so it was like an in real time representation, why do you think this is important? I think it's been pretty clear. You've got the star power, you've got the non-linear uh, storytelling, and the storytelling that doesn't hold your hand. I think that's a, a positive. And, uh, and again, I think it's, it's made in uncertain times. Whereas a story like Rebecca, uh, good for its year, um, but ultimately just a goofy misunderstanding, et cetera. All Quiet on the Western Front would, well, I think this is very similar to All Quiet on the Western Front, right? All Quiet on the I, Western I Front. I agree. Making, making commentary on the war, which had just ended, coming to terms with that. And this is sort of doing the same thing. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like that star power has to give it some sort of boost. Elevated People, they still talk about Casablanca. They don't talk about All Quiet on the Western Front. They read the book. Idiot. They really don't talk about the movie. So I might say 24, right before All Quiet on the Western Front. I think I liked All oh. Quiet on the Western Front better. Uh, but I, I might I say too. Casablanca was probably be a better film. All right. We can give it 24. I'm fine with 24. Anyone else? They want to comment? I... I recommend that you follow us on the Instagram. Add that there. 
Casa Blanca. Maybe during this whole quarantine, I'll finally get that website going. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Dan's just like, you're just giving in at this point. So, I did get that laptop, though. Wow, so it almost seems sacrilegious to compare World War II to this quarantine. It also does make you wonder <laughs> what, what, uh, the impacts of this will be, you know, what sort of, uh, depending on how long this continues, if it just ends up being a two, three week thing, probably nothing. But if this ends up being months, uh, what's going to be the reflection in art, uh, 20 years from now, as people look back on this time? I don't know. I think even with the two, three weeks, I think we're doing a reflection in art right now as we have this podcast and we're doing it remotely where we normally would be doing it in person. And I think we're talking about a movie that is a snapshot of a very tumultuous time while we are also in a tumultuous time. I think it's happening in real time there, Day Day. You're a part of history and so am I. Yeah, people always say they're a part of history. <laughs> but then sometimes they are and sometimes it's the... Nobody talks about Y2K anymore. Everybody thought that'd be a big deal. 9-11, still a big deal. Y2K... Not a no, big deal. Nobody cares about it. So we'll find out if this is 9-11 or Y2K. Okay, fair. I, okay. Um, you know. Anyway, Dan, how did you feel before we leave? How did you feel about doing our FaceTime together instead of being in, in person? I am still a little concerned about how the audio quality will play out. But I think this has worked. And uh, assuming it sounds good enough, this might be a format we're able to use uh, even after the quarantine lifts from time to time. That's true. Should we need in a pinch, we yes. can do that. Now, coming up, we have a series of, as we said, World War II-inspired films. Uh, two more that have very small films uh, strongly impacted by the limited resources of World War II. So we had a really big swell with uh, Gone with the Wind and with uh, Rebecca, and even with How Green Is My Valley, an epic-ish type film. Now we're contracting uh, for a while, so we'll see how this plays out. I'm excited and intrigued. Absolutely. Well... I think we did okay, and we did record it this time. Oh, did we? Which is which is good. The first one was so good. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was trash. It was we didn't know. We didn't know who any of the actors were. We got it together though for the second run. Yes. You're welcome, America. Much better. Uh, okay, so thank you to Chaz Hearn for letting us use your music, and to Andre Perez for your artwork, and thanks to Dan. I'm Dan. For agreeing to do this. I'm Kate. And uh, we'll see you socially distant next time.